let me invite you uh, this morning. Uh, let, me, let me say just first, thank, thank you for having me this morning. I'm glad to be with you. Uh, even if it's on short notice, I'm glad uh, to, to be back with you. Uh, Eric's become a very good friend of me. I'm, I'm thankful for him. Uh, I'm glad that you are celebrating him coming up in a, in a, little, in a few weeks. Um, you have a good, a good faithful minister, and uh, he's been, been with you for a long time, and I'm so glad to hear of the way that you are caring for him as well. Uh, but I am glad to be here uh, with you. Uh, thankful to, to that, that you have me. Um, would you turn your Bibles to the book of Galatians? So Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be looking this morning at Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. Galatians 3 is, is really an extended argument by Paul in which he is trying to correct an, uh, um, an error that has come into the Galatian church. Paul had ministered to the Galatians on one of his missionary journeys, preaching the gospel uh, to them, the gospel of salvation in Christ alone, by uh, grace alone, through faith alone. But following Paul came these, these troublers, these, these Judaizers who were bringing a false gospel, false teaching, telling the Galatians that they needed to add to their faith in Christ works of the law, specifically, or summarized really in the, the, the act of circumcision. Uh, these Judaizers came in and said, if you would be justified, sure, great that you believe in Christ. That's, that's all well and good but you also must follow the whole law, just like uh, we do as Jews. And so they come in and they begin to trouble the Galatians with this, this adding to gospel. It's a gospel where they are adding to faith in Christ, works of the law. The problem with that, and part of what Paul is doing throughout his argument from really the, the end of chapter 2 throughout uh, Galatians 3, is trying to unravel this and and put back the pieces together of the gospel that he has proclaimed, in which it is in which justification is by grace alone through faith specifically. That's what Paul is hammering home. Justification is by faith in Christ, and so he keeps uh, peeling back another layer of, of the, the the issue for the Galatians, and so he repeats himself over and over and over again throughout uh, Galatians three. And, and as we come to, to this passage, verses 10 through 14, what we really find is, is Paul dealing with this underlying question of, is faith in Christ enough? Is faith in Christ enough? That's kind of the underlying question that Paul is trying to work through. Is faith in Christ enough or is more needed? With that said, before we read from God's word, would you go with me once again to the Lord in prayer and let's pray for the reading of God's word. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Father, we pray that this morning, we ask that, that this morning your word would speak to us, that it would be that living, that living and active word for us, that you would speak to us, that you would illumine what you have inspired as we come to your word. Help me to be faithful to the text, faithful to your word, faithful to your gospel. Lord, would you speak to your people 
in this ordinary means of grace would you speak to us as we read your word. Pray this in your holy name. Amen. Reading now from Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. This is God's word. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Amen? This is God's word to us. Is faith in Christ enough? Is faith in Christ enough? And even before we, have, we answer that question, we have to actually ask or, or answer another question. Is the work of Christ enough? Is the work of Christ enough? So much of Paul's argument in chapter 3 centers on this, this tension that has been put to the Galatians between works of the law and faith. Works of the law and faith. The law and faith are really sort of two ways of living, two, two worlds, uh, we might say, two worlds in which um, justification, salvation are found, two ways of living. What Paul does in our passage is not set aside his discussion of law and faith. It's still here, but rather what he wants to do is he wants to set both, both works of the law and faith within the context, within the sphere of what Christ has done. So really what we're going to see, hopefully, is the work of Christ taking center stage at the intersection of law and faith. Law and faith. The whole work of Christ is the very heart of any discussion of law and faith, and Paul takes us there. And so law and faith and the whole work of Christ We'll consider the whole work of Christ in relation to the law and faith in, in two ways. First, let, let us consider why our works of the law do not justify. Why our works of the law do not justify. We'll see that in verses 10 through 12. And that will lead us into the second, which is how the work of Christ does justify. How the work of Christ does justify. And so first, why our works of the law do not justify. Why is it that our working of the law, why is it that our, our keeping the law cannot justify us? We'll see that in verses 10 through 12. Why cannot all my goodness and effort justify? That's, that's really been, that's really been the, the human temptation since the garden, since Eve in the garden, since Adam and Eve in the garden. The, the, the temptation to, to want to justify myself by my keeping of the law, by my own effort, my own personal work. Why cannot all my goodness and effort justify? Paul answers this question in verses 10 through 12 by drawing a lot, by, by drawing a lot on the Old Testament. These, these verses are rich in Old Testament uh, uh, quotes and allusions. And verses 10 and 12 specifically teach us that the very nature of the law, 
The very nature of the law requires complete and perfect obedience. That's the very nature of the law. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And so when, you, when, a, when a person puts themselves within the, the sphere of the law or says, I'm going to walk according to the law as my means of justification, the standard becomes immediately do all of it. Do all of it. Keep all of it. All things written in the law. There is no scaled balance. You are seeking to be justified by the law. There is no scaled balance when it comes to justification. It's not a matter of whether good works outweigh the bad, whether law-keeping outweighs law-breaking. And that's how we're tempted oftentimes to think about it, isn't it? We're tempted to think of it that way at the end of the day. We sometimes maybe instinctively uh, think back on our day and think, well, today I've, I've done pretty good. I've, I've, kept, I've kept God's law pretty well today. Uh, it's been better, it's been better than, than uh, my, my good works have been better than my bad. I've been pretty good. We tend to be pretty generous with ourselves, don't we? Don't we, we tend to be pretty generous with ourselves. A few years ago when I was an intern, at a church in Jackson, the First Pres in Jackson, I was sitting in my office uh, at the church, and I heard this crash outside my window. My, my office was right on a busy street in Jackson, and I heard this crash. And so I look out the window, and a, a lady riding her bike had um, crashed into a tree right outside my window. And, and so myself and a fellow intern who had a, an office beside me we rush outside to this, this lady, and she's on the ground, and thankfully she, she um, was, was okay overall. She's fine. And, and she didn't want to go to the hospital, and we, 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 we figured out that she didn't have a concussion. And so we, we just sat with her while she waited for a ride. She wanted to have she had a family member coming to pick her up. And we sat with her, and we talked to her. And through the course of that conversation, we... we figured out that she was not going to church, and so she, we, we invited her to come to our church. We said, hey, come to our church. We'd love to have you. And, and she said these words to us. I can still remember. Oh, no, I'm good. No, I'm good. I don't need that Bible and church stuff. God knows I've been a pretty good person. God knows I've been a pretty good person, is what she said. The woman generously weighed in the balance all her life and described herself justified before God. I've been more good than bad, she said. And so God knows this, and that's all, that's all that's needed. That's not how it works, though, is it? There's no pretty justified for the pretty good. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the law. That's what Paul tells us. Curse is the wrath of God. His just condemnation and wrath for sin because he is a just God. He's a law-giving God. Giving, even writing on our hearts his own law. And it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law because no one since Adam and Eve have been able to keep the law. Not even in, in a single part of it thought, word, and deed, we sin. 
we fail to live up to the standard of the law, even in one part. If you, uh, if you would, look, at, look with me at verse 11. Paul does something interesting here with verse 11. This is a quote from Habakkuk 2.4. Paul says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, and here's the quote, for the righteous shall live by faith. Paul's doing an interesting thing here. And we're going to come back to this verse in a, in a moment. Um, but for right now, in the context of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is crying out to the God for, his, for the injustice, as he calls it, of God bringing a, a wicked nation to, to, to judge the Israelites. And so Habakkuk makes a complaint to the Lord. And the Lord responds. And, and he, he, gives, he says this as part of his response. The righteous shall live by faith. But in the Hebrew, that word faith has more the idea of faithfulness. Faithfulness. The righteous shall live by their faithfulness. And so in the original context, what the Lord is doing is he's telling Habakkuk, he's reminding them why they're about to be judged. You have not been faithful to my law. You've not been faithful to my law. I want you to hold that there for a moment. We'll come back to that verse in a moment. But the, the thrust of these first three verses, 10 through 12, it gives us really the problem. Why we cannot be justified. Because we cannot keep the law in even one part. Not even in one part. Our pretty good is not enough. Your pretty good is not enough. Well, if we can't, by our keeping of the law, justify ourselves, what is it that we need? And so let us consider how the, the work of Christ alone justifies. Look with me at verses 13 to 14, if you would. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, this is really fascinating because Paul, Paul loves a transition word. If you've, if you've spent time in Paul's letters, he loves transition words, words like for or because or since. Paul moves from verses uh, 10 to 12 into 13 without a transition word because what he wants us to do is he wants us to see verses 10 through 12 through the very first word of verse 13, Christ. He's driving us into, into the person of Christ, into the work of Christ. The one who, who keeps the law lives by them, he says. The righteous shall live by faith, by faithfulness. And he goes immediately into Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So we need to think a little bit about Christ's work. You need to think about what Christ did. Paul tells us Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. When he was hanged on a tree, we must see the whole work of Christ presented here, connected to what has come before. Verses 10 through 12 are in view. Everyone is cursed because no one has kept even a part of the law. We've already talked about that. We were under the just wrath of God, and it is the curse that Christ must take upon himself. And so, in response to all this, 
Christ, uh, Paul presents us with penal substitutionary atonement, a big, fancy uh, phrase. I want to break it down, though, because it's, it's a necessary doctrine for us, penal substitutionary atonement. Paul gives us here, he gives us the penal part, and that is what, what Christ comes to do. It has to do with a guilty verdict. It has to do with the curse of law-breaking. And so what Christ does, the whole work of Christ, has to do with a guilty verdict in the courtroom of God. Before the just and holy God, Christ comes to deal with a guilty verdict. Let me jump to the last word, penal substitutionary atonement. Let me, what is atonement? Atonement is satisfaction. And so Paul tells us Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. That means he's satisfied the guilty verdict. It's done away with. He's atoned for it. He's covered it by his work. So penal, it's atonement. And that middle word, substitutionary. Look what Paul says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by what? By becoming a curse for us. He becomes a curse for us. He doesn't just simply take the, the, the verdict, our verdict, from us. He actually becomes that curse, that verdict of guilty. He says, that's mine. I'll take that. He does that for you. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He could, he could deep dive into those two words, for us. That's what Christ came to do. To be a substitute for us. We are the lawbreakers, not Christ. The curse was ours for our lawbreaking. Christ never broke a law. And, and, and that's, that's why I think Paul is, is driving us into Christ after verses 10 through 12. The one who does them, the law, shall live by them. Who was it that kept the whole law? It was Christ. Christ is the one who does the whole law, never sinning. In him, there was no sin. He was made like you in every way except for sin. No sin. He lives perfectly according to the whole law. He is the righteous one who lives by his faithfulness. He is the one who lives by his faithfulness to the law. And yet everything gets turned upside down here, doesn't it? Because the righteous are supposed to live because of their faithfulness. And here's the faithful one who keeps the law. And he goes to the cross. And he hangs on a tree, Paul says. Everything is flipped on its head. Everything is flipped on its head. Paul's driving us into the work of Christ. He is the perfect law keeper. And he does it for you when he goes to the cross and he dies on the cross, giving his life a ransom for many. The only man who earns the right to life is the one who takes upon himself death for us. We need both his passive and active obedience. His passive obedience is him there on the cross saying, Lord, I, I take this curse upon myself and, and coming under the the plan of the father from before the foundation of the world he obeys the father 
his passive obedience redeems us. It atones for you because Christ had actively kept the law in the whole of his life. Paul can say elsewhere, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ was the righteous one. His righteousness is imputed to you. His righteousness is imputed to you. Your sin is imputed to him on the cross. By faith, this happens. And so the law looks forward to Christ. Christ comes and he must keep the law perfectly so that his righteousness displayed day in and day out of his life might be your, become your righteousness. When, when the Father looks upon you, you who be- believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't see your sin, he sees Christ who has atoned, who has paid the penalty for you. So, what Christ did, what does faith do? What is it that faith does? Talking about Christ at the intersection of law and and faith. We're called to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does faith do? I want to think again about what Paul's doing in verse 11. We said that in the original context, Paul is talking about uh, uh, that Habakkuk has in view faithfulness. The righteous shall live by their faithfulness. But when Paul brings this verse, or that verse, into his, uh, into his passage here, into his letter, into his argument, he's using a Greek word that has the idea of belief, of trust in view. And so what we actually need to do is, I think, we need to see verse 11 through a, a, a previous verse that we didn't read this morning, but verse 6 where Paul says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so we need to actually see verse 11. I think Habakkuk, even though he has faithfulness in view there, he has faithfulness, not a faithfulness that is um, different than the faithfulness of of Abraham, the man of faith. So we actually need to see verse 11 through the lens of that one who is counted righteous for his faith. Now that faith of Abraham is not a, when we talk about the faith of Abraham, we're not talking about a snapshot in time, a single moment of faith. What do we get in the life of Abraham? Years and decades of his life in which he believes the word of the Lord again and again as he waits for the promised seed. And even when the Lord has given him that seed and the Lord says to him, go sacrifice your son. Go sacrifice him. Again and again, we see Abraham believing the Lord. He's being faithful in that. He's trusting the Lord and he's doing faithfulness. So that what we need to see when we come to the righteous shall live by faith. We need to see it through a couple different lenses. Paul's whole point throughout Galatians 3 is that by faith and not by works comes justification. Yet there are many layers, I think, to the righteous. The righteous shall live by faith. For Abraham, who believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, his justifying faith is not summed up in all that single moment of faith. It's his whole life. So that we can talk about his faith as a persevering faith. His was a persevering faith. Persevering is not an adjective added that makes the faith justifying. Persevering is the adjective describing the kind of faith that is already justified. 
Justifying faith is persevering faith. That is the first layer to shall live by faith. Faith is the characteristic. It's the, the characteristic of the long, plodding life, of your long, plodding life, believer, day in and day out. Keeps holding on, that faith keeps holding on to the one in whom it has believed. Keeps holding on to him in good days and bad days. When things go the way we think they should and when they don't. Weaker and stronger, faith gets the victory. Faith perseveres. We see that even in Abraham. There are times where his faith is weak. And he tries to take matters into his own hands. And yet, justifying faith shows itself as persevering faith. Faith in Christ is the only way to be justified before God. But faith in Christ is also the only way to our sanctification. That's what we have in view here. And that is why Paul can speak of the promise of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who sanctifies. The Spirit is a sanctifying Spirit. And so when we hear that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, we might receive the promised Spirit. That's part of that blessing. And the Spirit, when He comes and and is given to us by faith, is a sanctifying Spirit. All that long, plodding life of holding on to Christ, the good days and the bad days, and the weak moments and the strong moments, is part of our, uh, part of the Father's work of sanctifying you, of bringing you home, bringing you home. As He causes us to receive and rest upon Christ offered to us in the gospel, we are being sanctified. Law keeping is not. The way to justification, it's not able to justify you, but having justified you by faith, the Spirit works in you an increasing love for God's law, for loving God and loving neighbor. We're tempted to get this wrong. We're tempted to to, to get that order wrong. But the, the obedience comes after the justification. So that when Paul can say in Ephesians 2, at the end of expounding the, the glories of the gospel in which we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made alive together in Christ by faith, he can say, so that you may do the good works that the Lord has marked out for you. Right? We've got, we got to get the order right. There's one more quick layer to this shall live by faith. Shall live by faith is also the principal promise of the long plodding life that has to do the other part of the blessing of Abraham, and that is eschatological life. That is the promise of future, eternal life. Shall live by faith. That life there then means that future, promised, eternal life with Christ. So the long, plodding life for life here in this world is in view, but also that future glory in which Christ is bringing you home, to which he went to prepare a place for you. The better country that Hebrews talks about eternal eschatological life. The righteous shall live by faith. Faith has many things in view. Here's the whole work of Christ in relation to the law and faith. He comes as the one who keeps the law perfectly. And even though he had to go to the cross as the perfect law keeper, he does that on your behalf for you so that by faith, You can have justification. You cannot justify yourself by your good works. You can't be good enough. Christ was good enough. He did it for you. 
He did it for you. Christ dies our whole death because we cannot keep the law. It is faith in the whole work of Christ that alone justifies. And so Paul is hammering home in this letter that wants us to see in these verses Christ at the very center of law and faith. The law looks forward to Christ, telling us about what he's going to do. And faith looks back on him and receives and rests upon him and says, Lord, I need your help. I need your hope. I need your saving grace. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation? Here he is offered in the gospel to you. Would you pray with me? So Lord, we thank you for your sustaining, merciful grace. We thank you that you have loved us so well, that you have laid out for us the gospel. We thank you for Paul, who hammers this home again and again, repeats himself even at times. Lord, would you help us to believe this? Would you help us to, to get the order right? And would you help us to, to remember and to remind ourselves and to remind even one another that we cannot be good enough? not to rest on our own laurels, but to rest fully upon what Christ has done for us. Would you help us to believe the gospel, the work of Christ for us? Lord, we pray all this in your precious and holy name. Amen.